through here, so let's turn there and let's uh, read what, even as Danny prayed, this living word, and let's stand and let's read together. John writes from his first-hand experience, he says, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with the cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open on his, in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write... But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. So we're nearing the end. As he declared to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea, and on the earth, so I went to the angel and said to him, give me the little book. Now, I don't know how he said that. I wish we could hear the audio of that. And he said to me, take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, when I had consumed God's word, my stomach became bitter, and we're going to talk about that. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. And Father, this morning, as we read, as we look at, God, we so need you to bring your word to life in our hearts, that we could own it, even as you own us, and that we could live it even as we live in you, Lord, that the world around us might take notice. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The title of my message this morning is The Lull Before the Storm, because there's a break in the action right now. You know, we saw last week the, the, the six trumpets were sounding. You know, we saw weeks before the Seven seals were open, but there was only six that were open, and then there was a break, just like the sixth trumpet sounded in the last chapter, and now the seventh one. It won't sound until the middle of chapter 11. And the reason why is God gives man time to repent, to turn to him. God gives man time to contemplate what is happening on the earth. I mean, think about this. Judgment has started. God's judgment has started. They've watched people die. They've watched these crazy-looking creatures come up out of the bottomless pit. 
I mean, they're seeing all these crazy things, so why the pause? It can only be one reason. For the mercy of God to be revealed so that mankind can turn to God. Because God is on record that he does not delight in the death of the wicked. And so there's a pause, just like there was in the peeling of the six seals. There was a pause, there was a break, and then there was the seventh one. Well, that's exactly where we are right now in the, in the scope of things. Six trumpets have sounded, the seventh is a pause, and this pause is a total break of action from God judging a Christ-rejecting world. And so as we wait, we're introduced to different things. This morning, we're introduced to a mighty angel. The seventh angel is ready to sound, but before he does, we have, it's almost like there's a commercial break with this. God wants us to know, hey, look, there's this mighty angel. So who is this mighty angel? Oh, that's the controversy. I don't know. Many people say, oh, no, this is Jesus Christ. I don't see that. You can. That's cool. But a mighty angel, that, that works for me. Look how it reads here. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. So it sounds like we're being introduced to a new player in our heavenly scene. But like I said, many people like to see this mighty angel as Jesus. Certainly we see Jesus as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. We see him at the burning bush when Moses comes up. We see him standing before Joshua, and it's clearly an Old Testament picture of Jesus. Those are familiar to us. But here in the New Testament, this angel is just called an angel. He's not called an angel of the Lord. Now, this angel here in our study, it does have, he, he does have some interesting features like Jesus. It says here, he's clothed with the cloud. We see that in the Old Testament. God has often appeared in a cloud throughout the Old Testament. During his trial, Jesus said to his accusers, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power coming with the clouds of heaven. Many believe the clouds there is people. Next we read here in verse 1, and a rainbow was on his head. And certainly we've already seen that around the throne. The rainbow on his head was a sign of God's promise. We saw that when we saw and looked into the throne of God. There was a rainbow around it. And his face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. So we see that in chapter 1. It's a perfect description of who Jesus is. His face like the sun and his feet like Pillars, very identical to what we see in chapter 1. So this mighty angel is coming with the authority of heaven, or it's Jesus. And he's coming with the new covenant. Well, who is he? Well, I think there's some great clues as to who he's not. We read in verse 3 here that when this mighty angel spoke, he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. Coincidentally, we saw that in chapter 5, where Jesus is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And so there's many other places to look at to where it's easy to see why people might think, hey, this is Jesus here. It's kind of easy, I think, that some people can make the description of this mighty angel as a parallel to Jesus. However, when we set aside all speculation, when we set aside the guessing and our own personal preferences and just allow the living word of God to speak here, I believe you come up with a different answer. If every word here is God breathed and God kept, then looking back at verse 1, he says, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven. 
Another mighty angel, not Jesus. And another is the key word here. See, there's multiple different words for another in the Greek language. The Greek word that is used here for another angel is allos, which means another of the same kind. So I, I saw, John writes, I saw another of the same kind of angels coming down. But you and I, we all know Jesus is not an angel. The Mormons and the J-dubs are confused over that. They believe that he is an angel, but not Bible-believing Christians. We, we know Jesus is, an, is not an angel. So if this were Jesus, John should have used the Greek word heteros, which means another of a different kind, someone totally different from an angel. So then that would make sense. So this angel, I don't know, maybe he's Michael the archangel, who means his name is like God. So you can decide as we go through this, if you want this to be Jesus and ignore Allos and Heteros, hey, we can still love one another. You can still think that. I'm kind of neutral in these things. We do know this one had a book in his hand. Look what it says here in verse 2. He had a little book. And notice what it says about the book, open or closed. It's open. He had a little book open in his hand. Of course, this creates more differences of opinions, not agreements. And again, no one can know for certain what's in this book. So I'm going to kind of cap out in the, I don't know, neutral position. If you look back in chapter 5, Jesus had in his hand a scroll with seven seals that only he was worthy to loose and, 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 and so that the scroll could be opened. In chapter 6 and 8, we saw the removal of those seven seals. So now that scroll, it appears that it's, it could be open, but here in chapter 10, there's those that say, well, that's the scroll from chapters 5, 6, and 7. Really? Yeah, they say, yeah, see, look here, it says, the Jesus people say, yeah, yeah, it's fully open. It's open because the seals are removed. But others are quick to say, no, it's a totally different book. So who's right? I have no idea. The Greek word for sealed scroll in chapter 5 that Jesus takes hold of is the Greek word biblion. Huh, interesting word. The Greek word here in chapter 10 for the little book that I absolutely cannot pronounce, but I'll try and do my best phonetically, it's biblioidion. Different words. So depending on who you believe the angel to be, you use that information to support your claim. If you believe this mighty angel is Jesus, then you look at the two very different Greek words and say they are one and the same. You say, well, they kind of have the same root, which they do. But they say, well, one's open and one's sealed. That's where the differences lie. That's if you hold to the Jesus camp. If you believe this simply to be a mighty angel, then you look at the Greek words and say they're different words, both meaning different things, and that's true as well. And you just say, well, I don't know who's who. Now, someone may be right. Maybe they're both wrong. Maybe both views are wrong. 20 years ago, I would have told you who was right. But as I've, as I've taught through the whole Bible... Hey, the neutral position is the best answer on things that cannot be 100% hammered down. Now, there's one thing I know that as I look at this chapter, and that's Jesus Christ came to this earth to redeem mankind. That's his heart. That's why there's a pause. He wants to save that which was lost. And as that's his heart, that's got to be our heart as well. And here's why. If all we do is sit around and talk about who this could be or who, who, who it could not be, who's right and who's wrong, if all we do is seek to reform our theology 
Is anyone going to get saved from our deep religious theological conversations as Christians? What's the answer? No. So what we want to get caught up in is in the love of God by spending time in the Word of God, knowing that there is so much that we'll never know, and that's okay. We don't need to know everything. Why do we want to use our energy and our time just to have theological debates that will never place hope in our hearts? In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within you, not how to win the argument. See, if it's a living document, then we want to be taking it in, not trying to figure out our, our positions of men, but we want to take it in and let it live in us. Last week, we saw the demons were coming up, but now we see in this chapter that a mighty angel is coming down, and I like that. You know, God's not running out of players. It's not like it's a baseball game and the, the pitcher's not doing well, so they it's like, hey, we need a relief pitcher here. Let's get that guy out of here. Let's put a new one here. That's not what's happening here. God has so many resources that's at his availability that why can't this just be a mighty angel? And just think about that. A mighty angel, a big angel. Look at the size of this big angel. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Man, that's a big angel. I mean, this is almost a, the clincher as to why this is not Jesus. See, when Jesus comes in the end time scene, we see him stepping down on the Mount of Olives. The mountain's going to split in two, and he is going to walk into the city of Jerusalem. I don't see him showing up anywhere before that. And yet, here's this angel. Please notice he's not at Galveston Beach playing in the surf. You know, one foot on the land, one foot on the sea. Man, this is the greatest sign of God. It's awesome. Look how this reads. He's standing on the sea, not in it. Wow, he's walking on water. Oh, that's Jesus. No, no. He, he, look, when we get down a little farther, it's obvious it's not Jesus. Trust me. He, he's standing on the sea with his right foot, not in it. Even as he stands on the land with his left foot. That's a big angel. Now, is that like five foot span? No, my mind goes, no, that's like a 100-foot span or bigger. I mean, it says he's a mighty angel. Certainly, he's not like us. Okay, so what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is we have angels looking over us. I think it's a big deal. See, that, that, see and we need to remember that when we find ourselves in those pressure cooker of life moments that, hey, we're not alone. Not only is the Spirit of God in us, but there's angels that are looking out after us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? You don't ever think there's angels going in front of you clearing the path? Now, I wish they did it every time I got in my car and drove. That'd be awesome, you know, just <laughs> clear the path. But, but think about it. Those places where even before you're saved, when you should have died. I have those. I'm sure some of you do too. Or those places when you go through life and all of a sudden something just happens. In 2013, we're in the Philippines and we were, you know, 20 feet up, setting a truss, and this truss was going the wrong way, and this guy was going to be impaled, and all of a sudden somebody just pushed him right back up. He was already way back with a tr heavy truss, you know, 300-pound truss. So who was that? I don't know, but it wasn't him. Nobody's that strong. And certainly these angels are there, they're, they're there to, so that way, you know, we don't have to be anxious for nothing. 
Why? Well, because God has these ministering spirits sent forth to minister to you and I who, who inherit salvation. That's why we can seek first the kingdom of God and we get to rest in that. We get to cast all our cares and we get to rest in that. We get to take up our yoke from Jesus and learn from him that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. We get to rest in those things. So we see this mighty angel and we go, wow. We get a glimpse as to what one of these angels looks like that looks over us. That's, to me, that's pretty exciting. The next thing we see in verse 3 is that as this angel speaks with a loud voice, he gets a rather remarkable response. He cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars, and when he cried out, the seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. Please notice that. If he was about to write, then he heard what was said, right? We all got that? If he was about to write, he understood what was said, so he's going to write about it. I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. Okay, so why did they speak then? Were they just overly excited? And, whoa, and they started, whoa, we spoke out of turn? I don't think so. But then why does God allow us to see this? I mean... Why should John even write what they spoke if we're not going to know what they said? Why does, John, why does God have John include this here? I don't know. I believe it keeps us honest in one way. I think it shows us we don't need to know everything, that there's things that God knows and we just don't need to know. I don't think we need to know every plan and detail of God. Certainly, we don't know what this is. But you and I, we do need to trust the one who does. We need to trust him. We don't need to understand everything, and we certainly don't need to know everything. Before John is done with this writing of Revelation, he'll be told in Revelation 22.10 to not seal the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is at hand. But here, he's told to cover them up. At the end, keep everything open. But here, don't write those things that were spoken by the seven thunders. Now, as we allow the word of God to just speak for himself... It's obvious that John understood what they said because he's getting ready to write those things. Can we all see that? Can we all agree to that? Now, maybe someday we'll be able to understand why God told them to seal them up. I don't know. Maybe they won't. Maybe we won't. But in the meantime, I'd like to pose a question to you, and maybe you all can help me understand this because I'm kind of confused here. John hears from heaven, and, it's about to, and he's about to write what the seven thunders uttered, but he's told specifically to seal up the things that they said. Now, I understand that. That's not where the confusion lies for me. But if the things that they spoke are not written down and, in fact, are sealed up 2,000 years ago, then my question to all of you is this. Then how come I can go to, to Amazon and buy a used book for 20 bucks that tells me what they said? Or better yet, I can go online and all these people are saying, hey, this is what, the, this is what they said, this is what they said. So, so how's that possible? And yet maybe the second part of my question is, why do Christians buy that stuff? Why do they? Why do they? God says it, it's not, nah, nobody knows. Or, or why do we watch the television shows? On the History Channel, Discovery Channel, or whatever. Hey, the seven thunders uttered what they spoke. It's going to be unlocked tonight. Really? Why do we watch that? Didn't God say, seal it up, do not riot? And yet somebody knows. We've got to be careful what we listen to in these last days. God says, seal it up, but some commentators say, open it up. We've we got to be careful what we read. 
You know, John took these sayings to the grave. He's the only person on the earth that knew, and I can guarantee you he did not write a book about it. Amen? We can all, right? Right? Really? Some of you think John wrote a book about what they uttered? No, he didn't. Now, with that being said, church history tells us that John eventually left Patmos. That's where he was exiled to. That's where he saw all of this. And he ended up in Ephesus where he is an elder, and that's where he writes this all down. And I'm pretty certain he handed out his writing so that other, other people could see it. And I'm even more certain, like let's all place all of our salvation on the line here, certain, that more than one person came up to him and said, hey, John, buddy, what did they say? Hey, come on, you can trust me, man. We're brothers, man. We're blood-bought. Please, 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 you can trust me. Basic human nature, some of us would have went up to him and said, hey, I read your letter. What'd they say? Come on. (laughs) What'd they speak? Hey, listen, what they spoke and what we don't know is no way going to hinder our walk with Jesus at all. So let's not add to or take away from God's word, amen? Let's just let him speak. God simply doesn't want us to know. Are we good with that? I hope so. We can all rest in that. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land. Okay, so watch this. The same angel from verses 1 through 3, right? Right? Look back at verses 1 through 3. The big angel, mighty angel, on the sea, on the land. Right? Right? We all clear here? Okay, watch. He raised up his hand to heaven and swore by who? Not himself. If he was Jesus, he'd swear by himself. Well, why? Well, because we know what comes after this. But he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it. Who created it? Jesus did. We find it all over in the New Testament. Find it in John, find it in the book of Colossians, find it in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, Elohim, more than one. So if Jesus created all of it, not evolution... As this angel swears by someone greater than himself, hard for this angel to be Jesus. We all see that? It's pretty simple then. See, if we just let the Bible speak for himself and not try and become intellectually smart, it's here. And here's what he says, that there should be delay no longer, but the days of the sounding of the seventh angel when he's about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. So we're moving towards the end of the seven-year cycle here where God's mysteries are unveiled in our hearts as he declared to his servants, the prophets, who many of them wrote about the last day judgment that was coming. So the seventh angel, he's ready to sound. There's not going to be a delay any longer. There's no turning back from this point forward. This is it. The promises have been promised from of old, are now ready to go forth. The turn of events, as I believe we viewed them from the earth when this seventh angel sounds at this time, will be one of rapid succession. When those bowls or vials are poured out, they're going to be bam, 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 and it's over. So we're nearing the end. We're going to get a bunch of information in the next few chapters, but we're nearing the end. The scene now turns back to John, who's observing all of these things. He watched this angel. He's standing on the sea and the land. He watches him declare all these things. And a voice came to him from heaven and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. What a crazy command. 
If you hadn't read ahead, you're going, well, what's he going to do? Read it? Little open book from Big Mighty Angel? Go, John, go get that book. <laughs> the words go and take don't seem like the greatest direction at this point, right? Please, Mr. Big Angel, sir, will you give me that book? I mean, here's John, and here's this giant of an angel. But yet the command was go and take. As John goes, he's told by this giant angel, take and eat. To which, no doubt, John promptly replied in Texas fashion, yes, sir. But look how it's written, though, in verse 9. It's critical that you and I know that whatever God calls us to do, he enables us to do. Whatever it is. See, God doesn't call us to do something so we'll fail. No, he calls us to do something that we would succeed. And so he goes, give me the little book. It was a command of action from God for John to accomplish, and he did it. John just went for it. Even if it seemed overwhelming. And he did it because God's commandments are God's enablements, team. But see, you can play it safe and only live in what you can understand and live only by your senses. Never walk by faith. Never take those steps of faith and only walk what you can understand. What, what a boring Christian walk. Hey, we're God's. And if we're His, then when He speaks to us, we just obey. That's what makes it exciting. See, whatever God calls us to do, He has already past tense fact enabled you to do. He's already, if it's gifts, he's already placed those gifts in you before he calls you to do something because he truly does want us to succeed and not fail. Whatever it is. See, can't, can't be in the Christian's vocabulary if you and I are directed by their Lord. Won't. That can be. That makes us rebellious. We can't say can't. Oh, I know what it says. I just can't do that. You're right, you can't. But what is impossible for you is possible for who? possible for God. And so he goes, and he went to the angel and said to him, look at these words, give me the little book. Now, that's why I wish it was worded. Does he go up to say, hey, give me the little book? It doesn't say. It seems pretty bossy, but we don't really know how it comes out. And the angel said to me, take and eat it. I like this. Really? Wasn't it a little dry? Could he dip it? Nope. No dipping back then. He said to me, take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. So what's going on here? Well, simple. As he takes the word of God, as he absorbs God's word into and through his body, he owns it. I mean, think about food. You go and take food, you absorb it into your body, it, it gets into your bloodstream, it does all of what it needs to do, but it's a part of you. Or if you're a runner, they call it fuel, not food. And, and John is being called by God to go to this angel and eat it. Allow it to become part of you. Jesus said this in Matthew 4.4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That was after 40 days of fasting. See, I would suggest to you that if you pick up your Bible once a week or farther apart, you're, it's so easy for you to be swayed away. I'm not, I'm not saying a legalistic thing. I'm just telling you. If, if you don't pick up your Bible, then the only influence you're getting is influence from who? The world. So if I set my Bible down and I don't pick it up during the week, the only thing I've got going for me is 
Me. But God wants us to have more going for us than just me. You and I, we've got to pick up the Word of God and feed on it. Jesus said, hey, um, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I suggest to you, if you have a hard time reading your Bible, that you read your Bible before you stuff your face. Not tra- and it's not legalistic. I want you to grow. The Bible says, if you desire the pure milk of God's word, you'll grow. I don't want anybody just to grow fat. No, I want us to be lean and usable by God in these last days. Because see, as John takes this book and eats it, he's given a message. And then he goes. But he had to own it. It had to become a part of him. Verse 10, I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. No doubt about it. God's word is sweet. But when I had eaten it, my stomach, my gut became bitter. And the angel said to me, you must prophesy again about, keyword about, we'll talk about it in a minute. You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. So what is this little book? Please notice at this time, we don't know what it says. All we know is it's sweet as honey in his mouth, and it's bitter in his gut. Okay, hold your spot right here, Ezekiel chapter 2. Let's turn there. Get to the middle of your Bible, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Big book, just before Daniel. Real easy to find. Chapter 2. Because very similar happens to Ezekiel. And you'll see that right here in Ezekiel chapter 2. And he, that would be the Lord God, said to me, that would be Ezekiel. Ezekiel is called the son of man throughout the book of Ezekiel. And the Lord God said to me, son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. Oh, great, God. (laughs) You're sending me to people that aren't real stoked about the name of Jesus today. There's, There's very closely parallels here. And they and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day, for they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. So, he's te- so God's telling them, look, you're going to go, and as you speak, they're going to know that someone godly has been around them. But you know what? They're not going to listen. Man, that would really get me excited to go out and share the gospel. Hey, get out there and share the gospel, but no one's going to get saved. But, that, but we know that's not true. People are going to get saved. The fields are wide unto harvest. And so God tells them, Son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like that at school? You're dwelling amongst a bunch of briars and thorns and scorpions, people wanting to take you out or feel like that at work. Do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks. You get any of those over Thanksgiving holiday? You wanted to pray or say, hey, let's be thankful for the things we got. It's like, oh, you're not going to get religious on us, are you? And you got the looks? Hey, don't be dismayed by their looks, though they are 
a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them. Whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they're a rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I have given you. Okay, so look, he's given him a book. Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. So God's given Ezekiel this book. Then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and writing on it were lamentations and mournings and woes. I don't know if that's what's in the book that John's going to eat, but there's a message here. That's what I want us to see. Moreover, he said to me, son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that scroll. And I imagine he did. You know, it's probably very dry. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly. And fill your stomach with the scroll that I give you. So I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey and sweetness. And then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. Skip down to verse 14. You can go back and read it tonight. Interesting things there. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. So we see the book he was called by God to eat, that it was sweet in his in, in his mouth as well. But, but then he went in the bitter of heart to carry out his mission to his people. And it, and it all makes sense when you step back and look at what's going on here. See, Ezekiel had the promises of God even as John has. John's saying, look, you got to turn now because boom, it's going to get a lot worse. Ezekiel's packing a message and he's warning them of further judgment if they continue down this wrong path. So where is Ezekiel? Well, Daniel's in the palace. Jeremiah's back in in, uh, Israel. Ezekiel's out in the fields among the people of Israel. All three of them were contemporaries. They all lived at the same time. And so Ezekiel's going out to the Israelites that have been carried away captive for servant idolatry. And if you go back and read the verses we skipped over, this is what you'll find. The Lord told him, Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces and your forehead strong against their foreheads. God said, look, I'm giving you everything you need to carry it out. And the house of Israel will not listen to you. But he still had to go because the Lord was calling him to, just like you and I are. And yet, so often we think no one will ever listen, but that's because we've never opened up our mouth to find out how open people are. Or maybe we opened it up one time and people slammed us, and we've never opened it again. Look, people are open. The Lord said, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you and hear with your ears. It's not the blood pumping thing. No, it's the innermost being. And go and speak to them. There are those that say that neither one of these men actually ate the book. It's all symbolic. Hey, and if you want to believe that, that's cool. He devoured the book from start to finish like someone reading a good novel. Oh, I just can't put it down. I'm just going to devour this book. Okay, that. If you believe that, that's fine. For me, I'm in the camp. They literally ate the book. And thus, John, as he, as, he, as he came here, as he's literally eating the word of God, even as Ezekiel did, as God's word was becoming a part of him, as he was internalizing, internalizing the word of God, as it was assimilating into his body, into, into his being, God's word was in his mouth sweet as honey. 
the sweetness of forgiveness, salvation, love, grace, mercy, and the peace of God. Man, it was real. It was sweet. When, he, when you realize what the kingdom of God is going to be, the beauty of God's kingdom, when Jesus comes and steps down on the Mount of Olives and we're coming with him and the mountain splits in two and he reigns, it's going to be sweet. When you see Siberia looking like Hawaii in the North Pole, a beautiful tropical jungle, when you see the wolf and the lamb eating together, the beauty of this world when it's restored back into its original state as it was in the garden, when you see the deserts blossoming as a rose, no more vast uninhabited areas in the world. When you see those things happen, man, no, as John sees them, it's going to be sweet in your mouth. But when you contemplate the sin of man, when you think about the essential judgment of that sin that's coming upon a Christ-rejecting world, your friends, your neighbors, your family members, your co-workers, your classmates, when you think about that, the bitter things that the world must go through as God brings his judgment to get to the place where it's going to be unbelievable. See, when you devour his word and you really contemplate what awaits those who are lost and left behind, Though the results of bringing the kingdom are sweet, yet the things that have to happen first, well, they're indeed bitter. They should be bitter in our hearts. When you think about those who are going to be left behind and they're going to face everything we're reading about, that should move us somehow. So it's kind of like the bittersweet, the bitterness of the effects of sin, but the sweetness of the coming kingdom. That has to get inside us. And no, but no doubt it had to have been bittersweet for John to look ahead and see the glorious reign of Jesus Christ, but also with the same eyes, see the end of earth's existence. That's what he writes in chapter 20, 21. The heaven and earth are no more, and he saw this new heaven, and he saw this new heaven and new earth, and the new city, the new Jerusalem. Had to have been bittersweet. It was bittersweet for John to prophesy that days were coming to Israel that would make Hitler and Nazi Germany seem like child play. It was a bittersweet thing for me as I walk with Christ. It's a bittersweet thing for you as you walk with Christ. Our spirit loves the things of God. But at the same time, we all know what awaits those who are left behind in our town. I can see what's going to happen. There's got to be something that stirs in our heart, like stirred in the heart of Jesus to where he finished his mission, to where we finish ours, the way God wants us to finish it. And yet the sweetness of God's word must outweigh any bitterness that's coming as we kind of just let the sweetness of God flow out of our lives, team. Not forced to flow, but just allowing the sweetness and the, and the greatness and goodness of God to permeate out of our lives as we daily take in his word. Thus, we're giving something out fresh to people every time we see him. David said in Psalm 119, 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And God desires us to be in it. You know, let the world taste and see that our Lord is good as they hear and they watch our lives, as they listen and watch our lives. It, you know, this whole thing, uh, well, I'm into personal evangelism. I'm just going to live the example, and then eventually they'll, they'll come to know me as Jesus, or come to know my Jesus. That's not true. You have to use words. Now, our lives should reflect Jesus, and our words should reflect his. 
I don't see anywhere in the scriptures where it, people just go there and they never open their words. You, the, how beautiful it is are the feet of those who bring the gospel of peace. And yet, how will they hear unless no one is sent? How will they send if no one goes? How will they go if no one ever speaks? We've got to speak. Because this is what's going to happen to them. Look at verse 11 in Revelation 10 once more. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about, not to, about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. You must prophesy. You must get up and proclaim all that, I des- all that I've declared. And think of who this is that's being commanded by God to get up and speak one more time. It's the apostle of love named John. And so what do we know about this guy? He's 90 plus years old. Some would say he's 96. And God is commanding him to prophesy about all these nations. Not to these nations. If he was prophesying to these nations, his job would be over. No one would ever have to do it again. But this is John prophesying about Peoples, nations, tongues, and kings, their future. And I believe it's written this way for the church. That is, many people, nations, tongues, and kings are going to bear out and bear God's wrath. Speak that John church, God's saying speak so the church will wake up. Before I destroy it all, speak about these things that are coming John is proclaiming big picture stuff that many are going to face the judgment that's going to happen. There's going to be delay no longer. That's what it says. Prophesy again about the multiple multitudes of people facing the judgment. Do it, John. That the church of Jesus Christ might wake up and realize this is their hour to pull their baskets off of their heads and to let their light shine. Now, I hope that's not you. I hope none of, you, none of us have a basket on our head to where we're undercover Christians. Take the basket up. We've got to let it shine. Let people know where you're coming from. You know, if you don't like Christmas decorations, don't come by our house. I don't want to cause anybody to stumble. But we sit there and we watch people. They're going, great, great, great. Whoa! And all of a sudden, they're accosted with Jesus. It's interesting to watch their faces. Smile, smile, smile. Yeah, it's called the bait. (laughs) We put all that stuff for you to come by so you get accosted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Use everything we got at our disposal. We got to. See, the church has got to declare to all the people of the lands the sweetness of Jesus' present, yes, also the bitterness of God's wrath that's coming. This is for us today, team. We can't just look at this and go, yep, that's how it's all going to play out. We're going to be safely tucked away in heaven. There's something wrong in your relationship with Jesus, if that's what you think. This is for us today. So let's learn from John here. He becomes a great example of our takeaway team. Ezekiel and John can only proclaim the word of God after they have taken it in. Bible study is good. But you got to take it in by yourself during the week. It's not just some heady knowledge thing. It's not brain food. This is not read bitter in head, but bitter in the belly. You and I must take in the word of God to our heart 
and allow him to affect us in the gut. It's critical. See, when God does that, as he allows his word to settle into our gut, then then we might have something to share with others from resources within and not just from our own mind. We're not just throwing around some Bible verses called knowledge or some spiritual principles. That's never going to change us. Simply put, we must own it before we can give it away. You've heard it said, you've got to have the measles before you can give them away. Well, it's the same way here. You've got to own it before you can give it away. That's why teaching kids becomes the greatest way to grow spiritually. Because you have to know, or at least try to know, what you're serving them before you can serve it up fresh each week. It's also why I'm involved in making sure we're not just teaching stories or principles, but we're, we're teaching heart truths. And I'm involved in what's taught there. We have the Calvary Chapel curriculum we use, but sometimes we're not just teaching, uh, you know, Noah got in a boat. We're teaching Noah trusted God. And you can trust him too. Something our kids can grab a hold of and lay hold of. So they don't just know the story, but they know why the story's in there. But you got to know what you're going to serve before you can serve it up fresh each week. Now, before you go, well, that's why I don't serve in children's ministry, Pastor. I don't know the Word of God that well. Really? Didn't I just say it's not some wordy brain food, intellectual head knowledge type of a thing? No, it's got to be all from the heart. What we see in Ezekiel and John is they allow the word of God to reach the innermost being of their lives. The Greeks called it the heart, the deepest seat of emotions. And see, if your heart is right like mine was when I had been saved, I'd been saved only three weeks. I started teaching and I knew very little. Matter of fact, the pastor kids in my third and fourth grade class, they helped me with my theological facts and figures and they helped me keep it all straight. All I had to do was to provide a heart that was hungry for Jesus and a love for his word and a love for his kids. And the Spirit of God took care of the rest. And I grew like crazy. You have to. So there's no reason why none of us aren't growing. You know, if you're stalemating, then go teach the kids. Watch what God can do in your life. Consume the word of God every day, team, that a fresh message might be welling up from the innermost being. Not, not preaching the same old thing over and over. Hey, I read this thing over here. Hey, did you see about this? Hey, I read this book over here. No, no, no. Who cares about that? Grab the living word of God and allow it to become alive in you. This promise is given to us out of 1 Peter 2. Therefore, laying aside all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, including evil political speaking. I made that up but it fits, as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby if indeed you've tasted that the Lord's gracious. You know, dump the junk of the world's ways and desire the pure milk of the word and and God's going to take care of the rest and you're going to grow because it's going to be in you as you desire that. Please don't allow your personal Bible reading time to be like an assignment. Keep it as a love, love novel. And as you read, make them times of not just reading, but more importantly, make them times of listening. You gotta listen to what God wants to say to you. He does. We deny ourselves, pick up our cross daily, and follow Jesus. Well, how's that possible? Well, you gotta, you gotta hear him or see him. And I think hear him's better than see him, because honestly, I haven't seen him 
but I hear him. And see, we've got to allow the Spirit of God to take care of all the rest of it. As we fall in line with what God wants to do, as we proclaim the amazing mysteries of God that have been revealed to our hearts. See, all we're, the only thing we're responsible for is what God's revealed to us. And then we get to proclaim that to a lost world. And if you can't see what's coming upon this world right now, then you've been sleeping. So not only is there a lull in the storm here in chapter 10, there's a lull in the storm today for you and me. Before the rapture of the church, there's a lull. There's a break in the action before God pulls us up. And we've got to make the most of the opportunities that God gives us. We should be praying for effective open doors to preach the gospel all the time. Looking for those opportunities. Whether it be the grocery store, the hospital, the schoolyard, wherever we walk. Lord, help me to see these things you've already prepared in advance for me. That I might be able to share those things that I've eternalized. Those things that I've taken into my gut. The thing, those, thing, those things that were sweet as honey, but also, well, I recognize what's coming bitter. We've got to own it before we can give it away. John owns it. We get a great picture of owning it. I'm not saying go home and start eating pages of your Bible. <laughs> That's not what he's talking about here. But he owned it. Now, if God gives you a book and says, eat it, God bless you. <laughs> Father, we're thankful that you have us in a place where 